This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille. Hi, all you mindful listeners out there. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. I'm so excited about today's show, as I am always, because I feel like, I don't know, we just have the best guests. Ladies, this one is going to be for you. Yep, I'm just going to say that right off the bat. Uh, we're going to learn about taking an active role in your healthcare. You know, I love that. Um, it's kind of what the show is all about, right? Just trying to open up and use our minds to make great and better decisions um, about our health and wellness for ourselves and our family. And we're going to do this today in sort of a Chinese medicine way. And if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that as a naturopathic doctor, um, I do practice in my practice a system of medicine um, that is rooted in uh, a philosophical sort of tenet of first do no harm and identify and treat the cause and uh, use the least invasive methods to diagnose and treat and all of that stuff, but that I feel that there's such value in all systems of medicine, um, certainly traditional Chinese medicine. And so I have this fascinating uh, doctor, uh, Eric Karchmer. He's a PhD and an LAC, so that's a licensed acupuncturist. Uh, his fascination with Chinese medicine actually started over 30 years ago when he ventured to China to teach English, and his passion eventually translated into an unusual career in what he calls academic medicine. So I'm going to bring him on right now and have him explain exactly what that is. Dr. Karchmer, welcome to the show. Um, hi, Holly. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, Eric... Um, talk to us a little bit about this academic medicine. Um, I, I, it's a fascinating uh, <laughs> term. I don't think I've ever heard about it before. But yeah, what happened? Uh, well, uh, well, um, you know, it's actually, uh, uh, I take it from my dad. My, my dad's a, a doctor of uh, Western medicine. He's an MD. Um, and he always okay. told me that what he practiced was academic medicine. Um, and uh, so he does um, a lot of hospital clinical work, but he's very active in research. Um of course, it's very different clinical work and very different research than what I do. But I always thought it was a great term, and I always thought I always kind of, when I got into Chinese medicine later in life, I sort of envied him. I was like, wow, I, I'm, I feel like I'm often choose to choose between what I do for research, which is anthropology, or kind of what I do in my clinical practice, which is Chinese medicine. But to me, the two, you know, totally go together, um, and I wouldn't want to do one without the other. <clears throat> So I was like, God, I wish I could have a career Talking, like my dad so ex- um, and practice academic medicine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so explain, like, I don't know, explain to me what, how, I mean, I, I get that, that they go together, but how so? Flush that out a little bit. Um, well, um, I, I just feel like the, the two, to, to me, the two um, uh, just really inform each other. So um, uh, you don't need to uh, study anthropology to practice Chinese medicine um, at all. Uh, but when you're practicing Chinese medicine, you have to really think hard about like these concepts that are totally foreign, um, uh, hot, hmm. cold, deficiency, and excess, right. uh, the organs, which are not the organs of the anatomical body. Um, and, right. you know, so I think uh, having something like uh, anthropology uh, helps you to sort of get a broader perspective, help to like think through these issues without getting maybe totally tripped up with like some of the theoretical questions there, like how can we have a body that isn't really anatomical? Um, but likewise, also, um, you know, Chinese medicine like totally informs anthropology. It's a, uh, it's, I, I think very much like what you do. It's totally holistic. So it's a, um, it's a very different approach to um, uh, thinking about the health um, 
and think, thinking about the health of our bodies, thinking about illness and disease. Um, and so when I'm teaching yeah. anthropology, like I'm thinking of Chinese medicine all the time because it's always it's just That's great. it's this example of a different way of thinking about the world. And um, anthropologists you know, desperately need that as uh, well as many disciplines do. <laughs> um, I love so, the way uh, that that's, you that's use sort of your mind. It's yeah, it's what it's all about. Um, yeah, and so I, you know, um, and I, t- I t- you know, I, 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 I'm a professor at a, uh, Appalachian State University, so often reading about like different medical systems or uh, or problems in biomedicine, and um, um, and to me, I'm always looking for like these more holistic ways of thinking, even if it isn't Chinese medicine. And um, I mean, I think that's what's neat about naturopathic medicine is that. Um, we have to start from some different places. And so, uh, yeah. and when we do, sometimes we get to like really different results and that's exciting. That's great. Now, so at the renowned Beijing University of Chinese Medicine, you studied women's health and spent a considerable part of your career in that part of the world. When you say that women approach their monthly cycles and women, this is where I was saying, Hey, this is about you. Cause this cycle is so phenomenal to me. And it's definitely a metric of health. Uh, when I'm, you know, when I see a woman and I, one of the biggest things I want to know is how is your menstrual cycle? Because it tells us so much. So, but when, when you say that women approach their monthly cycle in Asia, much different than how we do here in the West, what do you mean? Uh, well, um, I mean, um, um, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't, um, I think for anyone who speaks Chinese and even if you don't, it doesn't take too long, you know, before you just realize that, um, women really think about things like their menstrual cycle very differently. Uh, it doesn't take too long to, you know, um, to kind of start hearing different stories. And, um, so, uh, one thing, for example, that's, uh, that you'll see very commonly is that, um, you know, and even uh, this is even as a man, you know, where I'm not privileged to uh, the more intimate conversations, but, um, women will tell you about how they're being very careful about, uh, the food they eat. Um, uh, when their period is approaching or, uh, or during their period, uh, they'll be much more cautious. They'll be cautious about, um, um, even their activities. Though, you know, they're not going to, they would say, sort of expose themselves to, uh, cold or the elements, if you will. Um, uh, uh they might be, um, uh, they might not, they might be cautious about having, say, an acupuncture treatment even during the middle of their menstrual cycle. Um, so they're they're ca- they're cautious in that way. Um, food is a big part of it, and if you spend time in China too, you notice that people are um, very particular about um, about their diets, about how they eat, about having regular meals. Um, and so, a big um, one big element of uh, one big concern um, would be foods that are considered cold. So hot and cold are not um, categories that we're used to thinking about in uh, in the West. We don't think of foods as having hot, being hot or cold, other than sort of purely the temperature. Uh, but these are sort of metaphors for thinking about the effects food have on your body. Um, and they're, then they're super useful once you kind of like wrap your mind around them. And so, um, you know, during a woman's menstrual cycle, uh, in China, she'll be very careful about eating foods that are considered cold, 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 um, is constrict, things that are cold are constricting and therefore can, um, cause pain. So those are, I mean, there's a uh, a lot of little things like like that, but um, I think women definitely. I think in general, women have a more proactive approach to uh, their menstrual cycle in China than they than they do here in the U.S. And this is certainly some women are very proactive here, but in general, they just feel like this is something I need to manage. I need to 
regulated as best I can through food and diet and um, lifestyle. And um, and if I do that, then you know there's a better chance that I'm not going to have more serious problems down the line. Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, it, it's fascinating. Um, and I think that proactive approach, because I do see, uh, I wrote a book in 2004 called Creating and Maintaining Balance, a Woman's Guide to Safe Natural Hormone Health. And it was really about when we entered menopause for the most part, and even perimenopause, um, trying not to pathologize those, uh, those, those natural mm-hmm. periods of a woman's life, but just understanding the influences of why we have in the West become so symptomatic during these normal hormonal changes. Um, but you say in, in, in Asian women tend to, to take a more proactive um, stance and using these concepts of like of heating and cooling. So specifically, you mentioned food and not eating a lot of cooling mm-hmm. food. But how do women in Asia approach their monthly cycle? Uh, um, well, in, in, terms of, in terms of food... Um, uh, well, um, uh, as you, as you said, I, I think this concept of balance is a nice idea and it's not exactly the word you use in, uh, Chinese medicine, but, um, uh, but if we were to take a word from Chinese medicine, that would be really crucial. Here would be this idea of like maybe modulating or regulating or adjusting or modifying that it's kind of, it's all one word. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, um, food is just kind of part of, um, uh, part of that, uh, and um, uh, you know, a, a good uh, now something you'll see very commonly in China is that um, just regarding something like this idea of cold would be that um, you very quickly realize that most Chinese friends will be reluctant to like to have like a, a, a cold glass of water, like filled with ice. Um, if they want water, it's either going to be like room temperature or maybe preferably hot water. That's also very very common. Um, uh, and people might drink hot water like on a hot summer day even. Um, and, uh, so co, um, so just that's like even at that most basic level, level people and ki- the kids will grow up, you know, their parents will admonish them. You know, don't, don't know. You can't have ice in that drink. Uh, uh-huh. which is, I don't know, exactly the opposite of the way I grew up. I, I thought like, you know, um, a cup of soda with a ton of ice in it was like, that was like, as good as it gets. Um, <laughs> and, um, so, uh, they begin with, um, uh, just kind of a simple little things like that. Now, of course, it doesn't mean like every woman has like a, a perfect menstrual cycle and things can definitely happen, um, that are beyond your control. Uh, but, uh, f- food is such an important part of it. Um, I think maybe the place where you might see it, um, uh, most obviously too is actually postpartum. Uh, and in postpartum women, um, uh, after you give birth, uh, like in Chinese medicine, that's recognized as a, as a state of like deficiency. Like that's a, a profound sort of blood deficient, we, we, we would say. And, you know, your average Chinese person doesn't necessarily totally understand that the more technical Chinese medicine perspective of it. Uh, but what's very, very common and very popular in China these days is that after you have, after you give birth is that women will do what's calling, uh, what's called, uh, sitting for a month. Uh, and when you sit for a month, you're just supposed to sort of nurse your baby. You're not supposed to even, even leave the house if you can avoid it. Um, and you're going to be sort of fed all these like, um, nutritious, uh, rich, uh, foods that are going to sort of help build your body back up as you recover from, uh, labor and delivery and also adjust to like nursing too, which is a, which is a big drain on the body too. Um, See, and so people take that period very seriously. That, yeah, that to me is fascinating. And honestly, I think it's the way 
It should be. And one of the complaints that I've had, I think, for, you know, decades is that I don't think as a culture that we give uh, the time or honor the time for women to recover from doing such an amazing job at, you know, <laughs> conceiving and then, you know, uh-huh. building, building this womb and nourishment and care for this zygote that turns into this embryo that, you know, all the whole, and then birthing this baby. And then of course, like you said, uh, getting ready for um, breastfeeding, which is a, a big toll. And I think that that's what leads to such a high incidence of folks having postpartum depression um, yeah. and other specific diagnoses like that, because I think they're just, they're not, they don't, they don't have a time to recover and heal. And I think it takes a toll. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there couldn't be uh, truer words, you know, from the Chinese medicine perspective. Um, and we um, maybe sometimes expect ourselves to um, recover, like, maybe there's a competition to recover ever faster with, like, Instagram photos of uh, this or that person who, um, you know, lost all their pregnancy weight um, in so many weeks. And, um, yeah, no, the healing part um, is is really important, um, and, it's, uh, and it takes a... Uh, um, um, and even when you're, f- even if you're feeling good, um, you know, that, like, you need to kind of have respect for the process, I think, a little bit too. And so the, con- if you, and, you know, the consequences, uh, there can be consequences if you, um, uh, if you don't give your body time to, time to recover. And even if you, even if you do, <laughs> um, it's hard, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, a woman has two or three children or, or more. That's just a, that's, you know, that's a toll. Um, and, uh, and, and it might show up and, and the way that might show up, um, can vary from uh, woman to woman. So you might not sort of see like something immediate. Postpartum depression would be, I agree with you 100%. That's definitely, you know, frequently, you know, just the result of some, you know, of w- one manifestation of our body, uh, of a woman's body trying to deal with like, you know, the, all the, um, uh, the challenges of uh, labor, birth, um, uh, you know, and, and breastfeeding, um, and uh, yeah, and then having um, a, an, but, uh, an entirely dependent soul. You know, they're they're I mean like these yeah. <laughs> these babies are completely dependent, yeah. and and I, I think you know it's, yes but, to that point. Totally. But also, I think that as well, it's almost like um, the nutrient depletion. If that nourishment isn't back, if as you say in Chinese medicine, they don't sort of sit for that month and build back up that we lose the building blocks of our neurotransmitters. We lose the building blocks of, you know, our biochemistry that just, you know, is driven yes. through cofactors, which are vitamins and minerals, and then everything starts to add up a bit. Um, yes, absolutely. And actually very interesting, just coming back to the, cycling back to the food um, question here, like um, you'll see women eating like lots of eggs uh, postpartum. That's very nourishing, but also another very popular dish that probably wouldn't go over too well here, but, um, but it kind of gives you a bit of helps maybe help people think here um, is a pig trotter. Uh, so uh, that will people will uh, take pig trotter, which is kind of fatty and just you know um, full of uh, you know very rich kinds of <laughs> uh, nutrients, and um, and they'll they'll somehow uh, you know uh, do a slow cooker sort of. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, approach to it, and, and that, but that would that would be like a pride, and it also ha- it also promotes it's also thought to promote um, the production of breast milk a little bit too. Uh, I think other fatty foods would also be kind of good, but but people are like, I need I need like fat, I need like these yeah um, rich so, nourishing foods in my body. 
In your concept of heating and cooling, when we talk about Chinese medicine, um, and of course, you've mentioned that during a woman's cycle, uh, not to have cooling, you know, foods or beverages, um, it, would this be a time where more warming food is, is appropriate uh, in this recovery sort of um, repair time? Uh, yes. Uh, you mean during a, during the a woman's period or are you talking post, postpartum? No, no. P- yes. Really? Postpartum. Yeah, actually, actually, actually either to be, uh, to be honest. Um, uh, but yes, you typically, you would want, um, uh, now there are, um, so cold is definitely is often more of the concern than heat in kind of the gynecological world in Chinese medicine. Uh, although you do have, you do have problems where you have, um, where heat is the problem and you need to cool it. Um, that might be, for example, like a, a very short cycle that's you know less than 21 days or something like that. Uh, that's typically a sign of of some kind of heat. Uh, but um, but more often, cold is the problem. And so typically, whether it's like you're struggling with um, menstrual cramps uh, or you're trying to uh, recover postpartum, uh, typically you want foods that are going to be a little bit more warming. So, for example, cooking with something like uh, ginger. Uh, ginger is considered a very warming food. Would be, uh, but also just kind of a lot of your spices in general are all. Uh, tend to be on the warming side. Uh, those can be um, those would be sort of helpful helpful things. And and when you're deficient and weak in a postpartum state, you're very vulnerable to cold. Um, and I remember um, very distinctly my wife, for example, um, after she had her, I, I'm not forgetting if it's the second or third child, uh, but just um, uh, struggling uh, with um, uh, these sensations of like. Cold, of cold, like feeling profoundly cold, and and we kept thinking, are you getting a cold? Are you getting a? Uh, are you getting sick? Um, and she wasn't wasn't getting sick. It was just like there was this sort of the, you know, she was struggling to recover from um, labor and delivery, and um, and had that and sort of that uh, that external cold from the environment was just really um, causing her a tremendous amount of pain, and she felt physically cold too. Um, and at that time, at that time, then we sort of is a little beyond sort of just food, but we then we're doing some herbs and things like that. But yeah, well, typically you'd want like warming, more warming things to help respond to that. All right. So you're right. So once you get your mind kind of wrapped around these concepts of cooling and heating, you can actually utilize them. Um, I know that I blend, uh, I blend aspects of Chinese medicine into all of my sort of, uh, treatment recommendations, just because some of the concepts, mm-hmm. you know, are so helpful. Now, what, let's talk about Chinese herbs, because in my opinion, they've been in, around a long time. Uh, 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 I mm-hmm. mean, far more, far, far longer than Western herbs. And I think extremely powerful. But I know that some uh, folks have said that they're kind of like snake oil. But why are they? Why are these folks wrong? Um, well, they, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh i think um it can be uh a little bit hard to assess uh, uh to assess and understand chinese herbs really f- um particularly if you're coming from some sort of biomedical perspective or some uh or i don't know some um more uh, the uh, some sort of pharmacological um perspective um so i think a couple things that are interesting about the herbs um is one that they're understood along the same lines as what we've just been talking about so um if hot, hot and cold are ways of diagnosing a patient, or excess and deficiency um, are another key, another two key categories. Uh, the herbs are kind of categorized in, in similar ways, um, and they're either considered cooling or or warming, and sometimes they're neutral. Uh, and then they have other properties that may be uh, they may be draining or, or supplementing. Um, and so they're one they're understood through an entirely different system of knowledge, if you will. 
Um, and then two, uh, what's also very interesting about them is that they're um, one each. Well, uh, the second part is one that each herb itself is this very complex thing, and so it's not like it's a single active ingredient. It's often uh, multiple active ingredients in any particular herb. And then um, together with that, they're also almost always used in combination. So Chinese medicine is really based on formulas, uh, and so the formulas will be anywhere from combinations of sort of three or four herbs that's sort of on the smaller side up to a dozen, but sometimes even more, 20 or something like that. Um, and so this, often the secret too is sort of in the, in the combination. Um, and, uh, and the part of the combination is uh, what, what's sort of special about that is that uh, the herbs are, and there's a lot of, there's a tremendous amount of thought that goes in. Uh, and this is where there's, as you said, kind of centuries of scholarship reflecting on sort of how we combine herbs, basically. Uh, and so there's a lot of thought about, like, what's herbs combine together very well, and uh, either to support certain properties or to balance out other um, negative, perhaps, side effects that might be a, a problem. So um, uh, so there's a so balance itself, which is kind of like the goal of, like, the ther- of the of the medical system, right, to help our bodies achieve better balance is also sort of like foundational to the formulas itself. So the formulas themselves are the classic formulas are sort of these uh, beautiful examples of of balance. Um, and uh, uh, so that to help your body do something, but it, do it in just the uh, you know just you know go as far as it needs without sort of uh, uh, overdoing it any one way. So the, you know, the usual experience taking Chinese herbs is that um, if it's a good fit for the problem, is that it's um, uh, that you've uh, generally, women will feel, or men, if we're talking about something beyond um, gynecological issues, you, generally you just feel sort of better and better as you, as you, you know, as you recover or uh, from whatever problem you're dealing with. Um, as opposed to, you know, we often have the situations where um, we have to take, let's just say, an antibiotic, um, and, maybe, uh, and that maybe takes care of the problem, but causes some other side effect, uh, um, upset your upset your digestive system, or things like that. So side effects are generally very minimal in Chinese medicine if you're getting like a good formula that's well balanced. Um, and then third, the to the last part for the um, that uh, sort of the snake oil critique doesn't really recognize is that the, because the system of diagnosis is so different in Chinese medicine, sort of the formula that works for, the formulas aren't sort of designed for like our categ- our disease categories of today. Um, they're 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 framed and designed for like very different ways of thinking about illness. And so, um, you know, the same formula that, um, you might use for a woman's menstrual cycle, uh, could actually be good for certain skin problems. Um, or a nice formula that I like to use often for like PMS, um, uh, also had like really great results treating like, um, IBS with it. And, um, uh, or it might be, um, really great for, um, uh, a, 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 um, a woman whose periods are sort of getting later and later, or it might be great for um, just like dealing with stress at work or something like that. So the yeah. formulas kind of also are designed for very different things too. So that's part that's part of where people miss miss the boat on on those critiques. Right, and that's why we need guidance from folks like you. And we're going to look forward to your uh, your book. That's uh, yeah, I know you're going to finish your manuscript. Oral, oral, oh, yes, orientalizing. 
the body postcranial <laughs> transformations in Chinese medicine. We'll see that later this year. And then folks, just to hear more from uh, Dr. Eric Karchmer here, PhD LAC, you can go to his website at mydaolabs.com. That's M-Y-D-A-O labs.com. And you can also find him on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash Dow Labs. So fascinating work, sort of blending this anthropology that you have um, a doctorate in and then with this, these concepts that, like you said, once you just get your mind around it, it's so helpful. And women, you can apply these concepts to, uh, you know, to taking more of an active, proactive, I would say, uh, care, you know, role in, in your healthcare, like we're trying to do on Mindful Medicine all the time. So Dr. Karchmer, thank you so much for being here. Folks, until next time, we will see you later or hear you later. Or you'll hear me later. Okay, keep tuning in. Thanks so much.